Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. So the, the psalm that we're going to look at today is, uh, as Christine read it, of course, um, it's, uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, the psalms are prayers. Uh, in fact, you might say the, the Psalter, the, the 150 psalms there, um, are like a school for prayer. You're, you're getting uh, templates for prayers. You're getting prayers of adoration, um, prayers of lament, um, prayers of surrender. And within the, the psalms, you're actually getting the full range of human emotion. You're getting anger and sadness and fear and joy and everything in between. And this psalm is really a perfect parallel to the part of the Lord's Prayer um, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we're placing before God our shortcomings, we're acknowledging the things that we need, and we're asking for forgiveness. Now, um, we're going to get into this uh, in in depth here uh, today, but I want you to acknowledge up front that forgiveness, this idea, maybe even almost sounds like a bland word, it's actually the thing that you and I desperately long for, that we, we, we want in our relationships to have an air of forgiveness, and I could say this morning, it's something that our culture so desperately needs. So hear this psalm in this way. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So if we're going to talk about prayers of confession today, we should start in a little bit of a different place, which is we should start with God, the, the character and the nature of God. And the psalmist um, is uh, using a rhetorical uh, device here, uh, which I found so fascinating um, if for my uh, English uh, people in the room here. It's actually what's called a merism. A merism is a combination of Two contrasting parts and everything in between. Rachel, you know, you know this? Yes. Okay, this is so, this is so great. I was, my mind was blown this way. It's a way of giving opposite things and describing everything in between. So a merism would be like the front of the subway car and the back of the subway car and everything in between. And that's actually what the author is doing. He's saying, God knows everything, right? He knows you're sitting and he knows you're standing, And basically what it's saying is, and everything in between. He knows you're going out, meaning your action. And then he knows you're lying down, you're resting. Before a word is on your tongue, God is familiar with your ways. This is a little scary, maybe for you this morning. God knows the hidden motivations of your heart, right? And so what the the writer is actually doing here is he's saying, this is the comprehensive and omniscient, all-knowing knowledge of God. And when I read the passage early on this week, I thought, oh, this is so terrifying. God knows Russell better than Russell knows Russell. Like, that, that's almost a scary way to think about it. And, and maybe that's what the question sort of is to the psalmist. Is this a comforting idea or is this kind of a terrifying idea, right? Um, one of the other merisms in the passages in verse 5, if we could get that passage back up, it, it says, you hem me in behind and before. I think this is the 
to me, it's the comforting part of the passage. Um, in the Hebrew, the word hem there is sir. Um, it's, it's battle language. It means like a siege, meaning like you're surrounded in battle in front and behind. You're confined and enclosed, right? Like a, like a blanket on a cold winter day. Maybe that's the comfort side, but the battle side of it may be a little bit terrifying, right? God is enclosing on you. And then what does the psalmist say? Where can I go from your spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? I think the, the way to read this passage that's actually helpful is to say, what is my heart's deepest desire? Like, what is it that, why did you even come here today, maybe? What, what is it that you really want, right? Um, I, I think, maybe, maybe it's in this first verse here, you searched me, and then there's that word, you know me. Like, to be known and to still be loved, I think, is our greatest desire, right? Will, will someone understand me? Even like the weird, goofy, quirky parts of me, will someone understand that part of me and still care about me and still love me? Will, will someone see maybe the downfalls of my personalities, the, the mistakes that I make and still love me in the middle of it? Will someone see the way that I tick and the way that I think and appreciate that about me? And the psalmist begins with, God, you, you know everything about me. It's drawing this truth and the reality of, of both who God is, but also who we are. And what we're doing in prayer of confession is first acknowledging, God, you, you already know everything about me. God, you're omni, omniscient, right? You're all-knowing. You search me and you know me. God, you're, you're omnipresent, right? Where can I flee from your spirit, your presence? God is omnipotent, right? You hem me in. So before we go any further, I think we need to answer the question, is that comforting to you or is that terrifying to you? And it's okay if it's terrifying. We'll get there too. God knows what you've done and left undone. And if you read the passage, I've, I've read it a lot this week, I thought there's, there's one way to read the passage and think God is like the, the sort of the cosmic stalker, right? Like he knows. He's always, he's always on me. Um, I'm a big um, find my friends guy. Um, <laughs> Any, please tell me I'm not alone. Okay, thank you. Um, mostly, I promise, I just use it to check in on my wife. Is she at work? Is she coming home? Or is she out at the playground? But a little bit of a confession. I take it further, and I take it too far. And I text my friend Will, and I'm like, how's pottery for the, first, uh, for the third time this week? Um, this is, this is a, maybe this is an act of confession here. I recently checked on my friend. It was his birthday. And he lives in Denver, and I, I looked up his location. It's Friday night, and I was like, oh, he's at this Gotti's chain steak restaurant that I've been to here in the city. And I was like, dude, can't believe you're there, but the truffle butter is like everything. I know it's $12. I'm Venmoing you $12 right now so you can get the truffle butter. And he's like, how did you know where I was? And I was like, dude, find my friends. He's like, I forgot we follow each other on there. Creepy, I know, all right? So if you want to come share your location with me after, I'd be happy to take it, right? Yeah. Okay, you do it too, all right? So maybe a little bit nosy, all right? What's the difference? I'm building a parallel here. What's the difference between a stalker and a friend? A relationship, right? And so if you're in relationship with this God, the passage becomes a lot more comforting than terrifying, right? Right? Or maybe... Maybe you would say, you know what, I, I, I struggle with this about God. 
right, that, that God is all-knowing, then why don't my circumstances change, right? If God is all-knowing, if, if, he, if he's in this, like, wh- why isn't there maybe more of a connection? Why isn't there more of a depth? Why isn't there more of an intimacy? And, but even, maybe even I would say if you desire that type of connection to God, maybe you would say, do I really want someone to know me at that level? Like, all of me at that depth, right? And I think what ultimately makes um, this, this um, passage a little bit scary or uncomfortable is the fact that um, we're prone to hiding. We're prone to hiding. In fact, this is the first reaction to sin in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter uh, 3, verses 6 through 10, it says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so they were naked and without shame. And the story prior to this was the garden and flourishing and goodness and freedom. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. What did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Hiding, right? The first thing that happens to Adam and Eve as sin enters the world is they hide, right? And this is sort of a go-to, right? We're going to get to prayers of confession um, today, but I think we start with God and then we begin to see what is our reaction, what is our, um, what is our go-to when we're found out, right? Is hiding. I think that maybe one of, our, uh, one of the ways to really understand and grasp this is we need to talk about this understanding of sin, right? They, they're hiding in their shame and um, that's their reaction to sin, but like what ultimately did they do? Uh, Augustine calls um, sin disordered love. Um, And he believed that our problem isn't necessarily that we love the wrong things, it's that we love the right things in the wrong order. And I think so often, um, you know, sin is becoming sort of this antiquated word, and and it's just like, I'm going to push that away, you know. um, No no right, no wrong for me, right? But what are we doing? In in disordered love, this this is stuff we do every day. Right? We put ourselves over other people. We put ourselves before God. We put money or careerism over the love of our neighbor. Right? We put our own self-righteousness over this free gift of gospel grace that we receive. And I love thinking about sin this way um, because we're prone to think about sin as sin is simply breaking God's law. But what actually, if, if we're saying sin is disordered love, it's actually breaking God's heart. Right? And so when we understand that way, we'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually more prone to do that. Like, I, I, I could actually come and, and sit here and say, I'm profoundly selfish. I think, I think about myself a lot before I think about other people. But you get into the nuances of, of our sin and our behavior, and what do we want to do? We begin to hide. And hiding, I just, this is maybe the best way to say it, hiding is our default setting, right? I don't want to deal with that. Hiding is our default setting, and then hiding here is an invitation to shame, right? What did they have to do in the garden? They had to begin to cover up their nakedness. Um, My friend um, defines shame as internalizing a critical gaze. 
to, to look in inwardly to ourselves and to be critical towards the self. It can't be I've done wrong, like guilt would say I've, I've, I've done wrong, I've done something wrong, where shame is like I've internalized that, I've, I, I am something wrong. What are we doing when we're hiding? Often what happens um, when we're hiding because of the shame we experience um, from sin is we, um, we can begin to do some redefinitions, right? We can redefine God. We can push away God and we can say, you know what? God is cold, distant, and irrelevant at this point in my life, right? What do, that's a way of hiding from what's actually happening. What about redefining ourselves, right? We experience the, the shame of, of sin in our life, and I'm speaking from a very high level on, on purpose here because I know us as humans, what are we doing? We're filtering through. How am I behaving? How am I doing? What have I done wrong, right? But, but, but when we do this, we're, we're redefining ourselves, and what are we saying when we hide? We're saying, I'm unlovable. I, I'm past fixing. And this is why prayers of confession actually is an invitation first to come out of hiding, to push past control, to push, push past manipulation, um, image management, and to come to God as an authentic self and an authentic whole. Uh, Marjorie T- uh, Thompson says it like this. She's a wonderful Catholic thinker. She says, if we wish to hide from the penetrating gaze of holy love, it is because we know it falls on what is unholy and unloving within us. Only under God's steady gaze of love are we able to find healing and restoration that we so desperately need. And I think this perfectly bridges us coming out of hiding and this deep desire that we do have to be known. And so what are we ultimately asking for in these prayers of confession? And I really just want to hone in on these two verses here, um, verses, uh, the last two, 23 and 24. The psalmist says, David, he says, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Scripture is urging us to do a work of self-examination, right? So here's what I want to do um, with, with the rest of our time here. Is I want to just give us like four, like, I don't know what we call them benefits, like four things that praying confessionally does for us. And then at the end, I'm just going to leave us a couple minutes to just think about that. Um, so here's the first one. Praying confessionally is ultimately an invitation to reality, right? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. The message translation says, investigate my life. What are you doing in an investigation? You're seeking the facts, right? You're seeking the truth. This is what we're doing in self-examination. Um, Adele Calhoun writes this wonderful book, um, and it's, I'm drawing a blank. What is it? The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Thank you. I knew you would know that. Um, I appreciate that. Um, and she really helps um, define what uh, self-examination and confession is sort of side by side. So um, we can be people that actually look inwardly at ourselves. Um, and uh, here's her definition. I wrote it on the slide. Um, Self-examination. I knew I'd forget. Um, Self-examination is a process where the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me. Now, I love this definition because don't you want to be joined in the process, right? You don't want to be lonely while you're trying to examine yourself. And I love that she says, like, God is going to be there right with you via the Holy Spirit, right? This is not meant to be some sort of shame-inducing inventory, right? But actually, it's a way of being 
um, truthful, right? That, that, was, that was the whole point. It's an invitation to the reality of who we are, right? Where, where we're prone in our sin to deny and to blame shift and to hide, we're actually just saying, like, this is actually me. I actually hold an inability to change myself, and I, I, I want something to change, right? In the passage, that's why the, the, the uh, request is, search me, O God, and know my heart, but then what does it say? Lead me in the way everlasting, right? I don't want to just do the self-examination and stay there, but I actually want to change. And then look at confession. The first part seems like you and I understand it, but then there's a back, back end. Admitting to God, self, and others my sin. That's what we assume confession generally is, like we're just going to say it to God, and like it just sits there. That's not it. That's actually not like Christian confession. That may be vulnerability, right? And we'll talk about vulnerability. I, I think vulnerability is a good thing. Christian confession goes on. It is also embracing Christ's gift of forgiveness. Both things are true. Both things can be true simultaneously. And that's why, that's why I think this point is, is, is so important. You and I do not gather here because we are good moral people, because it, um, it looks good on our resume to be here, or like we can phone our mom about it. Like, that's not why we're here, right? You're not here to get some um, decent principles on how to go to work on Monday. I hope that's not why you're here. That's, that's not it, right? We're actually here because we believe something about ourselves and we believe something about God. We believe that we are sinful, that we're falling short, that we're broken, and that, that, quite frankly, all of creation is subject to that brokenness, and we're trying to figure out, how do I make sense of this all? And so the world is profoundly broken. Uh, ourselves and our neighbors are bent inwardly towards ourselves, and this is why we do confession. This is the first part, right? We admit to God, self, and others our sin, but then there's another part, and both things can be true at the same time, and the second part of it is, this is the understanding of the gospel, is that we are loved beyond measure by a God who covers our sin, right? This is, these are moments where it's okay to say amen, okay? Sinful and loved beyond measure. This is the reality that we live in, and this is why we pray prayers of confession, not just vulnerability, but actually because we, we believe something profound about ourselves, and we believe something really, really profound about our God, and those things come together, and so we can come out of hiding. And so this week, I'm I'm talking to my therapist, and we're talking about vulnerability, and I said something like, um, I said, Mike, I, I value vulnerability, but I often don't know if I know how to do it. Like, I know how to share personal things about my life, but I, I don't know if it's, like, true vulnerability, right? Like, I feel like there is a block to vulnerability sometimes in my life, and um, what was working behind this was I was thinking about how we're sort of ironic as people. We, we say we value authenticity. We say we value vulnerability in others. Like we long for um, our workplaces and our friends to like have integrity. And yet this is the exact thing we struggle with in confession. Like th that this idea of truthfulness and, and vulnerability. And so I, I, I say to my therapist, uh, you know, Mike, I, ha I have this block. And he was amazing. Like he has a, just a, an amazing way of framing things. He said, do you think it's protection do you think it's ignorance or do you think it's resistance? I was like, oh, man. Um, he's like, protection. Like, do you think something's happened to you and, and it's hard to share and maybe you shouldn't? Or, or like, is it ignorance? Like, you, you just don't even know if you should share that. Or is there a resistance in you? Like, you could maybe share that. But how do you do it and how do you figure out how to do that? 
And I think what I was ultimately struggling with, with, which is the point, is that the truth of our life is so hard to accept. The truth of who we are is so hard to accept. And, and I ended up telling him, I said, Mike, I think what I'm most resistant with is that I would be known and not loved. That I would be known and not loved, or that I would be, um, like the passage says, that I would be seen in sort of this nakedness or this vulnerability and it wouldn't be reciprocated in that way. Confession is sort of this putting ourselves out there, right? It's this invitation to reality. Can you, can you see all of me and, and can you love me? And, I, you know, I was thinking about um, on, our, on our block here, just north of here on 22nd Street, there's an there's a AA group that um, meets every week. And my grandfather um, became a follower of Jesus through AA. And I was thinking, no one knows how to do this, like, work of confession better than AA and I just want to show you the first four steps here because I, this is what got me thinking about this, this level of vulnerability. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than our, ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And then look at four. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, a.k.a. we want to know the truth about ourselves, Right? I'm not saying this is easy work. This is, this is very hard work. Um, Brene Brown says it this way. If, if maybe vulnerability is the level we get to today, and I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Vulnerability is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. That's tough stuff. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Praying confessionally, it's an invitation into reality, and this will be a short point. It's an invitation to congruence. Now, these two points are similar, right? When we're living in reality, we're, we're grasping the brokenness in our world around us, we're grasping, grasping the brokenness in ourselves, and when we do the work of praying confessionally, what we're actually doing is we're getting a peace within us, a, a wholeness within us. Look what James says in James chapter 5. And the, reality, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, right? And so confession is, is, is a type of prayer that actually can, can heal you. It's like, a, um, it's like an alcohol wipe on, on a cut, right? It stings at first, but ultimately it's cleaning out that wound, right? But you and I, if you think about the sickness metaphor, you and I are only as sick as the secrets we keep, right? There, there's actually profound healing that can be had as we come clean, that we can be healed. Um, the, the word in the Hebrew for peace, um, shalom, it actually means so much more than peace. It, it means like wholeness. And I think that's what um, prayers of confession ultimately do. You know the moment where you were a kid and you were lying and you're like, I'm going to get found out, I'm going to get found out. And you tell the truth. It's like bodily, right? That it's just like this release just happens in you, that you could be whole. Praying confessionally is an invitation to reality, congruence. Third, it's an invitation to community. Um, I was reading this blog this week. It said, confession is good for the soul and bad for the reputation. And I thought, you know what? That's only true if your community is devoid of forgiveness, right? But, but if, if, if forgiveness is actually at work, then we can, we can exist in community. We can push through the, the superficial 
and we can be known and seen and loved. Uh, Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. He says, in confession, there takes place a breakthrough to community. Sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from the community. The more lonely people become, the more destructive the power of sin over them. The more deeply they become entangled in it, the more unholy is their loneliness. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of what is left unsaid, sin poisons the whole being of a person. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. Something in you right now like, I don't want to do that, right? It's something in you saying, I don't, I don't, it can stay where it is, right? I think almost every one of us can say, um, I should say it this way. I bet there's so many people in this room where you'd say the community of Jesus followers made sense where there was a vulnerability and an authenticity. Like um, I would say vulnerability begets vulnerability. You get more vulnerability when, when there's vulnerability in a place. Um, I have a friend, um, he just like embodies the truth. He's so honest about himself, even if it like borders on like self-deprecation. But when I'm around him, I'm like, I'm, I'm more my authentic self. I want to share more about my struggles and my shortcomings because vulnerability begets vulnerability. And when we're drawing out, you know, even the dark parts of us, I think what, what, we, what we, um, we don't understand instinctively is that it actually draws people closer to us, right? It's, it's actually like a way of, of like people, like I want to be around that because it's real, because it's authentic. I don't want to stay on the surface, but I want to go deeper, and we need people like that in community. And so here's the last part. Um, an invitation to reality, the truth, right? Congruence in our soul, in the community around us. And finally this, praying confessionally is an invitation to forgiveness. That, that's I mean, it's a very simple point, um, but this is what the, the Bible ultimately says. Um, Rich Mullins is a classic um, musician and, and Christian writer, and he tells a story about how he, um, at camp every summer, he would rededicate his life to Christ. Anyone been to one of these camps? Um, so he said, um, I do that every summer, you know, in middle school and, and high school. I get to college, and I start rededicating my life to Christ every six months. And then he goes, I get out of college, and I start my career, and then I start rededicating my life quarterly. And he said, by the time I was 40, I was rededicating my life about four times a day right? And I think, I think as we, maybe as we mature or, um, you know, we use this big word as like, as we're growing and we're being sanctified, we're becoming more like Jesus. What, what maybe we would hear is that, um, forgiveness is the thing that we are reminded that we need daily, right? It's hard to hear the truth about ourselves, right? It's hard to hear that we fail. It's, it's hard when a friend calls us out and we, we've hurt someone else. It's, it's hard to hear that we break God's standards or that we break God's heart, but like, what if forgiveness is possible, right? First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're like, Russell, why didn't you read that and sit down today, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to do the hard work of telling the truth and and putting ourselves out there and actually confessing our sins. But every time we do this, 
Every time we confess our sins, how we miss the mark of God's love and God's truth, what are we doing? We're opening ourselves up to the mending work of the cross, right? Jesus' wounds hold power, right? This is the realization that we have in in confession through confession. The forgiveness of sins is actually inviting us into the story of the gospel. Sinful, deeply loved. So let me just read this over you, um, this last passage here, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. Could you believe this today? Could you, like, Im- like, really just let this, like, sink into you today? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now you can sit here a little more vulnerably, right? There's a little bit more freedom in that. That, that you could say, yes, this is the reality of myself. I'm coming to terms with who, my, who I am, with my propensity to sin, that I miss the mark, that I have disordered loves. And you could walk in extreme forgiveness. And you and I could come out of hiding.